This is the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and this week to talk about the Seahawks' 23-15 win over the Los Angeles Chargers in preseason week three. Joining me, Mr. Rob Staten from SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, it's good to have the preseason uh, closing in, but it may also be better that the college football season is starting for you. I know you're excited about that. Yeah, very excited. You know, the, the first the games this weekend, um, it really kind of gets underway next week. Um, but it, it's good to get things going, you know, to have some players to talk about, to be able to identify some players that are potentially going to be draft picks. And I've been talking a little bit about that on the blog this week. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, what, a couple of weeks away from the, from the first Seahawks game of the regular season. They got through this, this main game, you know, the third preseason game without seemingly any serious injuries. So um, I think it's all positive at the moment. Yeah, the one big injury from the week was David Moore uh, finding out about his shoulder injury that's going to sideline him for, well, it didn't sound like there was an exact timeline on when he might return, so he didn't play in this game. But nothing really coming out of the game from what we could see in terms of major injuries, so that was a big positive, especially with Russell Wilson starting the game going 6 of 9, 73 yards. And he went 6 of 9, and gosh, there were a couple guys, if he hits those, he almost has a perfect night. And Russell Wilson, again, back-to-back game, just looking dialed in in the preseason. Yeah, you know, there was, I think, a little bit of rust early on, which is what he kind of showed last week as well. But then there's also a lot of good stuff. And, um, you know, I must admit, I wasn't overly keen on the uh, the read option that he had early on. And then <laughs> yeah, the, you uh, don't need to run it, especially when it's on that, that messy field in L.A. <laughs> and if you know, one thing he's really good at is sliding. And in that, on that read option, he kind of dove headfirst into the defender and it kind of got a bit ugly there. But uh, he got up, he, he sprinted back to the, uh, to the huddle. So it was, it was okay. Um, but, you know, I think it was, it was a positive showing for the, for the first team offense. And I think clearly looking at the two sides of the ball in the three games we've seen so far and looking at the personnel and how they compare, the strength of the team is going to be the offense this year, with the exception of some great linebackers. You know, the, the offensive line looks good, is protecting Russell very well. The running game looks to be successful. Pete Carroll noted that, you know, all of the running backs performed and he put it down to the system. And I think it's, it's a really interesting point to make here because the Seahawks um, have become, once again, and it's, it's easy to forget that a couple of years ago, the running game was an absolute shambles. Mm-hmm. And then last year, it was much improved. And this year, again, it seems to have taken another step. And if they can produce this really consistent running game mixed in with the explosive plays that you're going to get from Russell Wilson, then the offense can thrive this year. And it may have to as well because the defense is uh, leaving a little bit to, to be desired there. There's, there's definitely some improvements they can make. Well, how weird is it just that we're talking about the offensive line now being a seeming strength of the team and they looked good against uh, the Chargers and in front of Russell Wilson once again. And so here we have the strength of the team being the offensive line and maybe one of the biggest weaknesses of the team is the secondary. And it's it's very much flip flop from how it was three years ago. And I just wonder, we're kind of going into new territory as fans, just knowing that that secondary is it could be um, the, the weakness of this team. Yeah, it's funny how things change, isn't it? And I think it's also systematic. I think the Seahawks have been a little bit ahead of, ahead of the curve here uh, in terms of the offensive line. I think that because college offensive linemen are just not being taught into pro schemes and it's taking many of them two or three years to actually find um, their footing in the NFL, I think what you have to do, you've got two ways of doing it. You can either invest really high draft picks every year in your offensive line, which is kind of what Indianapolis and Dallas have done, and they both have solid offensive lines. Or you can try and bring in some sort of grizzled, 
experienced veterans who fit a very defined formula for what you want in your offensive line. And the Seahawks have gone for size and strength and power. And it suits the style they want to play. If you want to, you know, beast another team in the running game, you're better off doing it with your Dwayne Brown, your DJ Fluker, your, your parties, your, your Jermaine Effetti. I mean, he's really settled into this system and this scheme as well now. And I think that other teams are going to have to learn from this. I think you're going to have to, if you're a, a sort of a, an offensive lineman who's between the age of 27 and 32, you're probably going to find that your value increases over the next couple of years. Because I think a lot of teams are going to be looking for these types of guys um, and giving them a shot. And I'm, I feel very comfortable where the Seahawks are. Uh, with their offensive line. But as you mentioned there on the defense, they just look paper thin at cornerback. And Shaquille Griffin and, and Trey Flowers, they're going to be who they are. Uh, they, you know, I, I don't, they don't seem to be particularly strong at, at getting their head around and, and getting themselves in positions to make plays. But they will start and there will be some mistakes, but there will also be some positive play and they will stay on top and do what they're supposed to. Same from the safeties. I think you know, with Brady McDougald and whether it's Delano Hill or Tedrick Thompson or eventually Marquis Blair, who starts alongside him, they will do their job and they will you know, they will play within the defense, even if they're not making huge turnovers. But there's not a, a, a nickel def, a corner who stands out, which is a real shame because Justin Coleman was an underrated player for the Seahawks last right. year. And they're going to miss him. And then defensive line is an area where you can help out a secondary. If you're getting lots of pressure, then it can bail out a secondary. They're not doing that. And it was really painful to watch the pass rush last night. I know that interior, they had some pressure. Brandon Jackson, I think, had a couple of uh, TFLs. Um, but really they're relying on Michael Kendricks being this kind of like special blitzer, you know, Bobby Wang, they've got a pressure up the middle. They can't be doing that. That can't be where all their pressure comes from. And it seems like they're pinning all their hopes on Ziggy Ansah to be an edge rusher. And I, I, for me, Brandon, I think they've got to do something this week. I think they've got to go out there and find somebody. I know people will say, well, Jadavian Clowney's out there, but you know, if, if it's not him because it's too complex a trade, they need to go and find something from somewhere. There needs to be a, a pass rusher on a roster somewhere that they can maybe make a move for here. Uh, and bring in because uh, I, I don't think you can rely on Collier and Ansa to be a solution because the pass rush looks really weak. Could maybe uh, CJ Procise be part of that package now because he went out and he looked pretty good. Now, now is it enough to trick another team to saying, hey, that CJ Procise guy looks pretty good. We should trade for him because he goes five of 32, has a touchdown and really looked like the uh, the number two behind Chris Carson. But you can't just put all of everything that's happened over the past years aside if you're the Seahawks and say, OK, well, we're going to cut somebody like J.D. McKissick or Travis Homer because C.J. Procise went out and had one good game against the Chargers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the thing is, is it's frustrating, isn't it? Because didn't Procise look so good in that in that game <laughs> <Yes>. yesterday? <laughs> and uh, and you think, wow, where, you know, if only they'd had that. For the last couple of years, you know, I mean, it, it completely changes the franchise. I mean, maybe they don't have to spend a first round pick on Rashad Penny if, if ProSize has been healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, Carson and, and ProSize could have been the uh, the duo there. Um, but, you know, you can't revisit history and try and mix things around. The fact is that ProSize has been banged up every year. Um, so now you, you've hit the nail on the head. Is that going to be enough to tempt a team such as Houston, for example, right. who have just lost Lamar Miller? to an ACL, they've, they've traded for Duke Johnson, but you know they need more. Um, would it tempt a team like that to make a move? Are there other teams out there who need some need a player with his kind of skill set, the, you know, the ability to make plays as a pass catcher, but also run the ball with some explosion? Are there teams out there that could maybe throw a pick Seattle's way or a player swap for a defensive lineman or a cornerback? You know, is there something they can do there? And if the right offer isn't there, then I, I do think that ProSize will make the roster. And I think this is going to be the big question mark, is whether or not they just keep everybody. I mean, they are a running team. They can find ways, to, you know, Homer is a, a highly rated special teamer. So you're going to get some use out of him, even if he's not taking snaps. Um, McKissich, you know, has, has got that ability to be 
impactful in games in, in a certain way. And you need sort of your two or three on the roster anyway who are going to take snaps in a game. So it could be that, it, especially if they don't keep the fullback and if they don't keep Hollister the tight end, mm. they carry all of these running backs and just see how it goes. Suck it and see, you know, because they do get a bit... Look, Carson's going to get an injury at some point. He doesn't play 16 games a season. He's not done it in college or the NFL. Yeah. Rashad Penny was banged up a year ago. Procise is always injured. McKissick has been injured. Um, Homer's been injured. So you might need to stash these guys in there. And I, I, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that, with that group. And they might keep them all. You know, it's it's definitely possible. I think they do end up having to go down on the tight end numbers, you know, potentially on the receiver numbers. But, you know, with David Moore out, I, I am curious to see what's going to happen there. John Ursua had another couple nice catches, including a run after the catch to to start the second half. A big 28 yard gain, you know, two of 52 for Ursua in the game. And then you had Tyler Lockett, of course, catching uh, some big passes down the field as well. Two catches for 50 yards. And those those were kind of the big highlights in the passing game. Yeah, and Asua just looks like he's made for the NFL. I mean, he he's his quickness, mm-hmm. not just running his routes, but also when he's got the ball in hand, stand out. He looks like a, an NFL wide receiver, and um, he he's going to make the roster. And I think he's he's even going to be. He's, I think in a couple of years, as long as he stays healthy, we may well look back and say what a pick that was in the seventh round. You know, treading back into the seventh. To get John Asua, he just looks the part. You know, suddenness is an aspect. It's something that's not very easy to time, um, but it is something that you can see with your eyes when you're watching the games. Sure. And, you know, Percy Harvin was an electric athlete, but I think he ran in the 4-4s um, before he turned pro. But you would watch him run and see the suddenness there. And he's, he may not have Tyree Kill type speed, but um, when he's running in a straight line, but he was quick. He was really quick. And you see it with Asua, you know, he ran a 40 when he was, nursing an injury so i think he ran in the four fives or four sixes but he's clearly faster than that anyway um, but i think his suddenness is better than his pure straight line speed and the way that he gets out of his breaks and gets open the way that he glides with the ball in hand i think he's an exciting player and could be you know they've got chris carson with a late round picker a few years ago asua looks like the latest you know really quality late round picker undrafted free agent that the seahawks have brought in so I think with the four receivers, you have Tyler Lockett, you have Jerron Brown. I depending on the extent of the David Moore injury, I that's going to depend on what they do with him. DK Metcalf sounds like he'll be back early on in the season, so I would I would lock him in. I, I feel like Ursua now is is the guy that's probably in that number five spot. So do you keep a guy like Gary Jennings, Jazz Ferguson, who didn't have any catches in this game? He did have the end zone target uh, by Russell Wilson, where he had the pass interference call. And uh, then you have Malik Turner, who was getting snaps early on in this game, too, but finishes with two targets, no catches. It's, it's a dilemma. I think that Jazz Ferguson's the easy one to work out. I think that um, a lot of his production in the first game is because Paxton Lynch was pretty... Um, uh, pretty basic in what he was doing, and he was he was eyeing up Ferguson and throwing it to him, and he had a you know large number of targets in the first two games because Paxton Lynch was always looking for him, which is nice for Jazz, and it, you know it helped him create an impression, but was perhaps a little bit deceptive in terms of the production that he had um, in the first two games. I think that they will he will be someone that they hope to stash. Now, if he gets picked up by somebody else, then it's a shame, but I think that given his the way that he departed LSU and some of the red flags that were there when he was uh, a free agent in the draft, I think may well just worked the Seahawks' advantage and they might be able to stash him and see how things go. 
the David Moore thing is the big one because if he's going to be out a long time, what do you do? You know, do you shut him down for the whole year um, right now? Um, do you carry him on the roster but then put him on IR so that you can bring him back? Um, and the other thing that people need to remember is because a lot of people on the blog, Brandon, I don't know if you've seen these kind of thoughts to say, you know, just give the younger guys a try, you know, get rid of David Moore and get rid of Jerome Brown and stuff like this. But I don't think these people necessarily appreciate that the NFL is tough for receivers and you need some people who know the offense, know the quarterback. Um, you, you need players who the quarterback trusts that when he drops back and he throws the ball to the right place, that the receiver's actually going to be there. And, you know, the, the Seahawks are paying Russell Wilson a hefty amount of money. You know, he's the highest paid player in the league. You've got to provide players to enable Russell Wilson to produce. And people might not like Brett Brown and, and Moore, for example, might not be as flashy and as trendy as a Ferguson or a, a, a Sewer or some of these other younger guys. Uh, but they will be in the right place at the right time for Russell Wilson, and, and you need that. And this might not be the Seahawks in peak contention mode, you know, flying to the NFC Championship and all that this year. That might be a year away. Uh, but you still need players who can make plays for Russell Wilson and allow you to be competitive. So Brown's going to be there. Lockett's obviously going to be there. Um, but then they've got big calls to make. And uh, I just wonder if Malik Turner might make it because he's got that familiarity with Wilson, with the offense, and he's got that understanding. So if Moore is, is out, then I think Turner will make it. Mm-hmm. I think Osua is definitely going to make it. And then the big question mark, of course, is Gary Jennings. You know, what are they going to do with Jennings? They clearly like him. He looks exactly, he looked exactly like a Seahawks receiver in college, uh, but he just hasn't done an awful lot in preseason. And it's whether or not they want to write him off after one year and they will lose him if they cut him. You know, another team right. will, will collect and snap, snap up a, um, a fourth round pick. So if they cut him, they lose him. Uh, how badly do they want to sort of maybe redshirt him, stash him and give him another chance next year or just throughout the season? to create an impression because so far he has been a little bit underwhelming. It all depends on what is the situation with Moore is. And I do think Malik Turner is kind of that natural uh, fill in behind Moore. And because you can't, I'm in agreement with you that having too many rookies, I think you're, you're going to run into issues and uh, it, you at least need Tyler Lockett, Jerron Brown, and then that third guy, whether it's either Moore or Turner. Yeah. I, and, and I think it's fair enough. And, I think that the Seahawks have never been a team that have necessarily, I mean, we're talking about the receivers. We've completely forgotten DK Metcalf is going to be part of this whole thing as well. I mean, you know, this must be the first time in the whole uh, of 2019 that someone's forgotten to mention DK Metcalf. Um, and, and yet we've, we've, we've managed it. <laughs> we've yeah, I'm it definitely uh, lumping uh, DK Metcalf in with that rookie group. So just in terms of veterans, I, I think those, yeah. those three guys are the ones that you have to think of. And I think that the Seahawks have always kind of got by um, with without the sort of the big name necessarily receivers. You know, they they have role players. They like to spread their targets around. So I think it's it's a pretty good looking group. Maybe they just if if more is out, they maybe just like that one extra guy who's a little bit experienced. But let's see what they do. I mean, I, I actually think this is going to be quite a busy week, Brandon. I think that the Seahawks are going to be active. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to make multiple multiple moves. Because it has to be, there have to be trade partners out there. The play, certain players have to be cut to enable the Seahawks to go after them. But I think anybody making a 53-man uh, roster projection today or tomorrow will find that they're, you know, they're, they're wrong in a number of areas. Because I do think the Seahawks are going to be actively looking for other players um, this week because they need to do something. A receiver, if there is an experienced receiver out there that they could bring in just to add to this group, they may do that. And then if they're a defensive lineman and cornerback, so they could go and acquire they may do that as well. So I think it's going to be quite a busy, active week. We may see some trades. We may see some acquisitions here. Um, and, I, and I think the, the roster in a week's time might look a little bit different than it currently does. Oh, is Des Bryant still out there? I mean... <laughs> oh, well, that'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess 
when I think of receivers potentially that they'd go after, it'd be one of those veteran guys who you know, is kind of an under the radar guy, like a Jermaine Curse um, that you know you can count on, but isn't super flashy, and you, you maybe don't have to feel bad about cutting later on to to bring a, a rookie into that spot potentially. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Seahawks cut Curse um, a couple of years ago, and he was picked up, I think, by the. Oh, was it? You know, he was part of the Sheldon Richardson trade, wasn't right, he? He went right. to uh, the Jets, but the, the Seahawks seemed like they were going to cut Curse if he wasn't moved, and then he went to the Jets through the Richardson trade, and, and it's that kind of thing that I'm thinking here. You know, is there a receiver out there that's a bit like Curse in that sense that is, uh, you know, fairly dependable? You know, not particularly special, um, but can come in and, and play a role within uh, the offense that's something they have to measure up versus you know keeping a Malik Turner on the roster if David Moore can't go so these are all things to consider we need a bit more information on David Moore um, we need to see if DK Metcalf can come back and, and be involved in the first few weeks of the season too so there's a lot to be determined there you know and I'm just sort of throwing out receivers a possible option there that they might look at veterans I do think D-line and cornerback are the areas they're going to target the most you know we feel down about the defense Rob but they did hold the the L.A. Chargers to only three points through the first three quarters. It wasn't until Easton Stick came in and was kind of tearing it up in the fourth quarter against the third stringers. And, and well, there are some second stringers in there, too, toward in the fourth quarter. But it wasn't until then where they were really giving up big chunks of yards. They, they held the running game together against the Chargers fairly well. Now, uh, Melvin Gordon not out there, but uh, it turns it he may not be a Charger for uh, come week one of the season either. So I'm of two minds a little bit because the, the defense, they, they did play pretty well. It wasn't against Philip Rivers though, too. So I, it's really hard to evaluate the defense in this game. I think there are definitely positives about the defense, uh, Brandon. I think that the linebackers and, and you know, you know what you're going to get from Bobby Wagner, you know what you're going to get from KJ Wright, but I think that Michael Kendricks has been yes. a revelation in preseason. Yeah. He had He's a good game. Too. Absolutely sensational in every single game so far. And in this game, he was flying all over the place. He's in coverage. He's attacking the line of scrimmage. He had that, exceptional tackle for a loss on fourth down, which mm-hmm. led to a turnover on downs. Um, yeah, right, he is right just, at the end of the half, yeah. He's going to be an X-factor this year. If he can stay healthy, they're going to rush him, I think, a little bit. They're going to have him sort of moving around in coverage. You know, the ability to have Wagner Wright and Kendricks on the field at any time is a mouth-watering proposition for the Seahawks. So I think that that is a huge positive. I think that, I, I actually think, I know people don't really... I'm that fond of the Tedrick and Delano or Leno as he's now known uh, combo. And, but I, I actually think that their experience in the defense is a positive thing. They've not been big playmakers, but they understand the scheme. And with Brandon McDougal, I think it's, it's easy to forget that, that most of the league doesn't have an Earl Thomas. You know, there are probably about three special athletes at safety. You know, you think of people like Jamal Adams, you think of Earl Thomas, you think of uh, Derwin James, you know, players like that. They're, they're few and far between in the league. You know, most teams are fielding safeties like the Seahawks, guys who just can organize and, and get things and people into position and then make the plays that they're supposed to make. And the Seahawks have got that with Brandon McDougall and Tedrick and Delano. And, you know, hopefully uh, Marquis Blair is going to get healthy and, and can be a, a player in contention there too. So I, I'm not too concerned about the safety position. I think their starting cornerbacks will benefit from another year's experience and, you know, they're not going to be Sherman and Maxwell, but then they're probably not going to be, uh, you know, a liability most weeks either. I think that, look, you look at the defensive line, Puna Ford looks fantastic. <laughs> right. And uh, and Jaron Reed, when he gets back, will be, you know, a huge boost. Yeah. I actually think Al Woods has been pretty good. And Brandon Jackson's had a decent preseason. So there are, and, and they've not played Ziggy and they've not played LJ Collier. So, you know, when those two guys come in as well, you think, yeah, they will be better. I think the concern is, though, is that, you know, Rasheen Green's shown absolutely nothing again for me. Yeah. 
Um, Barkeepers Mingo has, you know, they've converted him back into a pass rusher. And if, if he makes the roster, it's because of special teams. Because I, mean, I don't know if you saw the Eastern Stick touchdown throw uh, in this game that Jacob Martin got dumped on his back on that particular play. And Barkeepers Mingo was just tangled up with a left tackle. And, you know, this was a, a, an LA Chargers team that does not have a great offensive line at all. And they're missing Russell Okung, their top left tackle. So, you know, they're banged up. They're not good. This was a game to get three or four sacks and inject some confidence into the pass rush, and they didn't manage it. So they have to do something there, you know. They, and, and Ziggy's going to be banged up all year. You know, every single week, Pete Carroll's going to be asked about Ziggy's health because there'll always be something because that's the kind of guy he is. Mm-hmm. And LJ Collier's going to come back from this, this, uh, this foot sprain. And then, as we've seen with rookies in the past, it took Frank Clark two years to get to his peak. It's taken Rasheem Green an age. He's still looking for that ability to have an impact. So you, can you rely on Collier as a rookie? I don't think you can. I think they've got to go out there and find somebody. And I, and I don't know who it is. You know, I've seen Everson Griffin touted a little bit from Minnesota, but then I watched the, the Vikings game yesterday and Griffin was great and he was starting. And I yeah. can't imagine the Vikings <laughs> giving him up to an NFC rival that they're going to face this year. No, especially when they're in contention in in their division. Yeah. I, I feel like they may even be the favorites uh, coming out of the, that division. But you've got to find somebody else. You know, there's got to be somebody on a roster somewhere that you think, yeah, you can play. And I think the thing that Griffin would provide is that raw experience and, and intensity. He's kind of got the same on-field that demeanor and attitude as a Michael Bennett, for example. You know, he's a warrior. And, and the Seahawks kind of need that to me. Somebody who knows what they're doing, somebody who can play the run and pass the, uh, rush the passer, and, and is going to really bark at the other team and really get after it. Um, they're kind of missing that. They seem like a bit of a nice defensive line at the moment. And you, they kind of need a bit of nasty in there, I think. And I'm not sure who the guy is, but I do think they need to do something this week. Well, Pete Carroll may just be content with having a solid defensive line that that works against the run and then you know, mixing in some of those you know, potential pass rushers later on and just hoping that they get healthy, which I, I don't like hope as a potential plan, but that may end up being where they go. But the Seahawks do get the 23 to 15 win against the Chargers. And Rob, I want to come back after the break and talk about some of the big news that came down right ahead of the game with Andrew Luck retiring and also about some of the college football players you're looking forward to this upcoming season. I am joined by Rob Staten, SeahawksDraftBlog.com. And we're talking about the 23 to 15 win over the L.A. Chargers this past weekend. But right before the game, Rob, we got the news. Andrew Luck retiring from the NFL. And I think just as Seahawks fans were dialed into that because of the the whole Russell Wilson versus Andrew Luck debate. And, you know, we're behind our guy, the, the third round pick. And it's always felt like Russell Wilson's been overlooked in that draft because Andrew Luck was the first pick right at the top of the draft. And now we see the injuries taking their toll on Andrew Luck, making the decision to retire. And it was just kind of a shocking moment yesterday. It really was. I mean, to sort of tell you uh, how I found out, I mean, uh, the game kicked off at three o'clock in the morning in England, the uh, Chargers Seahawks game. And I decided I was going to have a little sleep uh, before the game started. And then uh, my alarm went off at three o'clock in the morning and I kind of turned it off and um, switched the uh the alarm on till about four so i i watched the game on a slight delay and then kind of fast forwarded through all this the, you know the stoppages and the and the ad breaks and everything until i caught up at about half time and the uh because i wasn't sort of listening to the entire broadcast and you know and the, the i got the charges broadcast crew uh on game pass over here and uh, i i wasn't listening to what they were talking about 
drawing the plays and everything like that. But occasionally they kept talking about this great big news that had broken that they kept saying is stunning that he's retired, a, you know, not even 30 years of age. And I was sat there thinking, who are they talking about here? You know, they're talking about Melvin Gordon. Like, who are they, who are they talking about? Because there's, who, who could it possibly be? And then, like, uh, uh, I sort of forced myself to not fast forward and one stoppage. And then I think they brought, you know, they brought up the Andrew Luck thing on and they, they were asking Keenan Allen about it. Um, on the sideline um, during the game, and um, and I, you know, immediately went online to see what was going on, and saw that Andrew Luck had retired, and it's just it's, it's one of those moments where your your, your jaw drops and hits the floor because you just don't expect that news, and then it was almost like a period of mourning. Um, you know, this great player has, has been lost; um, he's not going to play in the NFL anymore, um, and you feel a bit of sadness for him because obviously he's battling a lot of demons there, and. You know, he, he's, he feels that from a health point of view, we just can't carry on. And I think, you know, everybody should probably respect that. You know, I, I think that actually as a Colts fan, as, as much as you'd be disappointed by this, there is there must be a little bit of excitement about what happens next. You know, is Jacoby Brissett going to go this year and become the future starter for them? Are they going to be looking at college quarterbacks this year? So it was it was just stunning, stunning um, news. And, um, you know, I suppose it does make you realise how good a job the Seahawks did in that draft because, you know, they didn't have the number one overall pick. And, and the, the, you know, they, there was that whole suck for luck thing that year and <laughs> right. the Colts finished fair and then the Redskins traded all those picks didn't they, to get Robert Griffin the third, And then you've got guys like Ryan Tannehill going early and, um, you know, you have Brandon Whedon and Brock Osweiler and then and there's Russell in the third round. And um, I don't think the Seahawks, I don't know what you think, Brandon, but I don't think the Seahawks have ever truly got the credit they deserve for drafting Wilson in the, in the third round and being the team that selected him because it, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible draft pick, you know, to be here in 2019 and for him to be the richest player in the league and to won a Super Bowl and come so close to winning another. What an inspired pick and, and, and tactical gamble to, to wait till the third round to get Wilson and um, what a player he has been. That draft is just going to go down in history for the Seahawks because of the fact that they took Bruce Irvin early on, Bobby Wagner in the second round, and and then going with Russell Wilson in the third round. So I th- I feel like with with that already, I mean, and then there were picks even later on. The entire 2012 draft for the Seahawks was incredible. So I, I do believe they're going to get so, some credit there. And now you start to wonder, yeah, is the the next best quarterback out of that draft? Is it Kirk Cousins out of the fourth round? Uh, because you know, going this early for Andrew Luck retiring, it is just such a big surprise. I, I wouldn't have thought that Robert Griffin, after you know the his third and fourth seasons as a backup, would outlast Andrew Luck in the NFL or Ryan Tannehill. And yeah. so that was that goes into the surprise of the Andrew Luck news for me. I, can I just say, I, I think that the Seahawks actually, you know, in this whole credit thing, would have probably got a lot more credit had they taken Wilson with a 15th overall pick for Minoff than, <laughs> well, than went to the third round because because everyone would have gone, what a shocking pick to take Wilson in the first round. You yeah. know, incredible. You know, what a bold move. And then it would have been praised because they they had that insight, to, the, the foresight to, to sort of take him that early. Uh, but because they kind of waited till round three, people kind of don't give them the benefit of the doubt. They say, oh, well, you didn't obviously rate him that much because you waited till round three. But I think it was all part of a, you know, a game plan for that draft that they needed a pass rusher. You know, I, I, someone had told me, um, or I used to talk to, you know, in that year, that their, their first top priority in that draft was to get some, some pass rush. And Pete Carroll had said after the season that their speed in the front seven was their main priority. Yeah. And then they drafted it, they drafted Bobby Wagner, and then they, they took Wilson. And, you know, I think that year, just to sort of look back to that year and write on the blog, 
Pete Carroll spent an awful lot of time with Kirk Cousins before that draft. You know, I think I think they worked out in California, and and Pete was down there, and Kirk was there. I, I you know, I'd heard a, a lot of things that Kirk Cousins. I think he really believed the Seahawks were going to take him, and I think that the Seahawks had really zoned in on Wilson and and Kirk Cousins in the middle rounds as okay, we're going to take one of these guys to add to the competition. And uh, it, it does make you wonder a little bit, if someone had taken Wilson before that, that third round pick at number 75, then there's a chance that the Seahawks would have taken Kirk Cousins there. And, and, and you know, you do wonder how it would have all played out because, you sure. know, Kirk Cousins had a reasonable NFL career. He's obviously not reached the heights that Wilson has, but it's one of those sort of sliding doors moments to think about in, in what could have happened. But, you know, a very interesting draft class and, uh, you know, sad news for Andrew Luck. Um, and sad for the NFL to lose such a you know quality young player at this early age. Well, you think about what else could happen too. You go back and remember they had the twelfth overall pick in that twenty twelve draft, and Philadelphia took Fletcher Cox with that twelfth pick. Mm. Could you imagine the the Seahawks defensive line with uh, Fletcher Cox on the interior for for all these years in, instead of Bruce Irvin, who you know played through his rookie deal and then left. Uh, that would well, it would have been tough to hang on to a guy like Fletcher Cox too, and what he would have made along with the Legion of Boom and Bobby Wagner. Yeah, and, and sort of piecing things together, you know, based on what Carroll has said. Carroll's quite revealing, you know, uh, when he does his pregame press conferences and he talks about players that have succeeded at other teams, and the way that he's talked about Luke Keekley over the years makes me think at number twelve. I mean, I think Keekley went ninth overall that mm-hmm. year, and if he he'd have, if he'd have lasted to twelve. I'm pretty sure the Seahawks would have taken him. And then that probably would have meant that they wouldn't have drafted Bobby Wagner. Um, and then when you think back to the second round, Michael Kendricks, I think the Eagles, Seahawks traded down and then the Eagles took Kendricks before Wagner went. And it makes you wonder, you know, how would it have played out if it went the other way? Would the Seahawks have drafted Kendricks, for example, if the Eagles would have uh, drafted Wagner? So there's a lot yeah, of that's true. interesting yeah. moments in that. I, I, you know, I'm just really, I, I did not like Ryan Tannehill at all at Texas A&M. You know, nothing personal about him, but just... The way he, th- he often threw blind and, and had some horrible interceptions and just didn't look like a player worthy of a, a top 15 pick. He was a converted receiver. People forget this about Ryan Tannehill, but he was actually a receiver at Texas A&M. Right. That they tried at quarterback and, uh, and it kind of stuck. And then he ended up being a top 15 pick. And I was just kind of pleased that the Seahawks didn't draft Tannehill more than anything because uh, <laughs> when, when, he was, when he was in the draft, because I, I thought they'd get lumbered with, with him then. Um, but it's all worked out for the better. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Seahawks can progress and have many years with Russell Wilson um, at the helm because he seems like a you know a football machine that seems dedicated to play for many many years to come and doesn't seem to be uh, thinking about you know give, call it a day anytime soon so hopefully there's another at least another one or two Super Bowls in Russell Wilson's future yeah you would hope so now uh, I guess Nick Foles is one of the other quarterbacks we should mention out of that draft who was taken by the Eagles so uh, at yeah. 88 overall not not too long after Russell Wilson <laughs> Is, is there a lesson here, though? I mean, you kind of look at this and, yeah, everybody was, we were so sure that Andrew Luck was going to be great, and he was. Oh, and Robert Griffin, uh, I mean, the rookie of the year, he was so good his rookie season, yeah. I mean, everybody was convinced that Robert the Griffin III was going to be amazing, and then, he, like you said, Tannehill and, and Whedon and people like that. And and the guys who have, have lasted and are not the ones that you necessarily would have imagined. Your third-round picks, your fourth-round picks, your Folders, your Wilsons, your Cousins. And maybe that's something that we need to remember when we're sort of looking in the future. You know, people are very quick um, to slate decisions that teams make and, and judge them in certain ways. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking to the Giants this year, you know, everybody was so critical of Daniel Jones or the sixth overall pick. But you kind of have to let these things play out and see how it goes. And, you know, Daniel Jones probably wasn't worth 
the sixth overall pick, but then neither was, I don't know, you know, Kirk Cousins, for example. But if Kirk Cousins had been drafted number six overall in 2012, if you'd have looked at his career, would you have said that would have been a wasted pick? You know, probably not. You'd have said, well, he's, he's been a relatively decent starting quarterback for going on, what, seven years now. So, um, you know, you, I, you kind of do have to sort of wait these things out. I think that it's probably the part of the problem with the internet these days that everybody's got an opinion five minutes after something's happened. But you do have to let these situations play out. And we, we're going to look at that 2012 draft a lot differently in light of the news this week than, um, than perhaps we thought at the time. Well, moving on to guys that we might look at in the 2020 draft, Rob, you had a post up this week of the players that you're looking at to, to start the college football season. Who are some of those names that you're looking forward to seeing coming up here in this, this 2019 college football season? Well, it's encouraging that there are players, you know, there's quite a, a number of players already that we've been able to identify as, um, as you know, high quality prospects for the 2020 draft and you know these are names that people will be very familiar with but grant delpit at lsu was an amazing safety who could easily go in the top 10 there's Derek brown at auburn who would have easily been in the top 15 this year i think for me he's, he's a fantastic defensive tackle you've you've got players like um chase young at ohio state who should go early and raekwon davis who chose not to declare from alabama who could have a good year there's lots of skill position players uh, especially in the sec you've got chanoa at, at colorado as well but you know this this week i've been I've written a piece that has, has been looking over the last two or three weeks, I've been watching different players and um, to try and find who some of the others to keep an eye on. Are. And I think one that's really stood out for me is Andrew Thomas at Georgia. He's their left tackle. Now, one of the things you see when you're watching uh, offensive linemen in college football is that they're pretty frantic. You know, you can see that sometimes they're good athletes and they will get into good positions, get a good kick slide in there, and they can dominate some of these speed rushes at the college level. But you do see sloppy technique, and you see them you know, taking a wide stance, and then maybe leave, leave them uh, inside counter open and stuff like that. But And the great thing about Andrew Thomas is he was in complete control. It looked like he was barely breaking sweat, getting into his, into his set, and then getting into position and locking onto the frame and dominating and getting to the second level. And, you know, his, his ball, you know, gets into the pads and will drive um, defensive lineman off the line in the running game. And I just felt so impressed with Andrew Thomas at Georgia. And I think based on what I've seen of him on 2018 tape, and you watch him play like top teams like Alabama, um, he has every chance to be a very high pick at offensive tackle. So that's a name to to keep an eye on. Uh, Yita Gross-Matos at Penn State is a wonderful pass rusher. Great motor, sprints around the field, you know, plays to the whistle. You want to sort of see him do a little bit more off the edge in terms of speed, but he has got that. He's got the length. Um, has got the ability to to stunt inside and and get to the quarterback. There's a cluster of cornerbacks who are worth keeping an eye on. Jeffrey Akuda's got a lot of attention in the national media. He's someone to watch. Uh, Christian Fulton's kind of like bigger man-to-man corner. Might not go quite as early as somebody like Akuda, but um, I think is you know that second round range could be somebody that people look at there. Um, you've 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 obviously got Trevon Diggs if he can stay healthy at Alabama. I think one of the players that has been most fun to watch is Isaiah Simmons at Clemson, who's kind of like this safety linebacker hybrid. And the thing that I noticed watching him is there's a, a bit of Cam Chancellor to his game. You know, the way that he roams around you, sort of he plays up at the line, is very physical there, but he can cover a little bit as well. Um, he's not quite the big hitter that Cam Chancellor is, uh, but certainly has got some of those those traits and has got the size that you love. Uh, Dylan Moses at Alabama is going to be a, probably a top 10 pick at linebacker. He's very much in that mold of Devin White, who was, I think, fifth overall this year. And then there's a cluster of quarterbacks who you would expect to go very, very early. Um, Jordan Love at Utah State is, is sort of the trendier guy at the moment. But then there's uh, there's obviously uh, Tua, Alabama, Justin Herbert at Oregon. 
I, I quite like Steven Montez at Colorado. Can he put it together this year? Um, I've not mentioned CJ Henderson, who played for Florida against Miami this weekend in a really good game there. He's he's somebody I think is probably could be seen mostly as a nickel cornerback, but could play outside as well. Has got fantastic speed and quickness. He ran a 4.35, uh, 40 at a Smark and a 3.92 short shuttle. So he's got that quickness. He's got an explosive ability as well. 37-inch vertical, someone to look at. So there's a lot of players. I mean, there's, you could already write about 20 or 30 prospects who have got the potential to work themselves into sort of a top 60 range there, Brandon. And I think that's a, a good thing for the Seahawks that there are quite a number of defensive linemen and cornerbacks and receivers who are amongst that list. Well, obviously, the Seahawks, you know, we hope that they aren't looking for a quarterback early on in this draft. But you mentioned Tua from Alabama. You mentioned Herbert from Oregon. But, you know, you said that Love's getting the trendy pick. This is a name that was new to me, this this Utah State quarterback. Is Utah State going to be a fun team to watch this year because because of Love? Yeah, they definitely are. You know, it's funny that um, you sort of see Patrick Mahomes come along. And you think, wow, we've, we've never seen anything like this before. You know, the the ability to just sort of flick his wrist and drive the ball downfield from all kinds of angles and, you know, to be this incredible playmaker. And then a year later, Kyler Murray's kind of doing some of the similar things for Oklahoma and he ends up going first overall. And then Jordan Love comes along and he's, he's kind of cut from the same cloth. He is very good on bootlegs and getting into space. And then he just kind of, you know, cracks his wrist and the ball flies out of his hand and gets it downfield. He's very accurate, very poised. Um, can can make a, a wide range of throws when he needs to extend plays. He can when he needs to make gains. His legs, he can. Um, I think that Justin Herbert at Oregon is is pretty much the safe bet. I would I would say to to be the first of the quarterbacks taken at the moment because he's got the size, um, he's got the um, the technique and the mechanics that you would hope for. He's he's not a um, he's considered a bit of an introvert and mm-hmm. he's not a, sort of a, a big personality. But I don't think teams really mind that too much. And you know, it, Sam Donald's a bit like that. And, and I think that Herbert is, is a good bet to go top. But then I think it will be a battle for who's going to be the second quarterback off the board. And I think Jordan Love's got a, as much of a chance as Tua in going in that range. I think that Tua's got some issues he needs to work on here. And he's a left-handed thrower, which kind of puts him in a disadvantage mm. as well. So I think that Jordan Love in particular is somebody that if you get a chance to watch Utah State, check him out. I'm looking at draft wire here from USA Today just to kind of see where the Seahawks might be slotted for the first round. Because you can you can look and find a mock draft anywhere, anytime uh, for the next uh, draft coming up. And I see a name for the Seahawks, Kenny Wilkes, edge defender, Michigan State. Yeah, so he uh, picked up a really nasty injury at the end of last season and um, he's, he's battling back from that. Um, I think we need to see how he is going to be... Uh, how, how he's going to recover. He is a, a decent pass rusher. I, I'm not sure whether he's that you know amazing athlete necessarily that the Seahawks go for mm. um, early on because um, he's, a, he's a lighter pass rusher. He's not a big sort of, you know, five tech type like Collier. He is, you know, more of a, a, a pure speed edge rusher type. Um, and, and we'll be interested to see how he tests, if, assuming he has a really good year this year. He's not somebody that I would consider as a, a first round prospect at this stage. I think he's probably sort of more mid to late rounds, uh, but he is quite a big name and he's had some production with Michigan State. So uh, we'll see if he can come back this year and uh, and be productive again. Yeah, because this is going to be, I don't see even looking down this mock draft, not a whole lot of defensive linemen. There are some. I mean, it, it, you know, you have to you have to look in sort of different areas to find them. So there's a guy called Javon Kinlaw at, at South Carolina, who is a a potential inside out type of guy. He is about 300 pounds, but he has, you know, he's, he's a 300 pounds of muscle. You know, he's, he's in that kind of Calais Campbell type frame 
sort of player. And uh, he had 10 tackles for a loss last year. I think he's a player that could easily work his way inside the top 20. Mm. Um, you talk about um, guys who could go very early. There was, there was one um, last night, Jabari Zaniga at Florida, who is an edge rusher, who could be an early pick, who's something to keep an eye on. Chase Young, very highly rated at Ohio State. Derek Brown that I mentioned there from Auburn is a terrific player. Raekwon Davis had a bit of a down year last year uh, for Alabama, but has got the ability and potential to be, you know, a top I, I 20. I don't plan prospect. on the Seahawks drafting in the top 10, though, Rob. That's <laughs> No, but, it's but you know, players do fall. That's true. And, um, you know, you see players sort of last a bit. You know, the, before Malik McDowell was drafted by the Seahawks in round two, you know, he was considered a top 10 prospect. Yeah. And, you know, these guys do drop sometimes. But, you know, Kinlaw's a guy who is he's generally considered to be someone who could go top 20. But I think some scouts will look at him as maybe a late first, early second type player at the moment. It depends what he does uh, this year. You know, Yita Gross Matos is, is the guy that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where's his range going to be? Where is he going to go? And there's always sort of pass rushes who emerge throughout the season. So there are some options there. But I do... You know, I don't know what you think about this. I mean, personally, for me, I, I always like to sort of look back to what the Seahawks have had in the past and how they've succeeded. And they succeeded because they had experience on the defensive line. Um, you know, they had a great rotation in 2013 and 14. They, they would have Bennett and Averill. Obviously, they're very lucky to acquire those two guys. But they would also have players like, you know, Red Bryant would be on there, a big leadership role, Brad Mebane, you know, people like that, who could really sort of help solidify that line. Now, I think the Seahawks have got Jaron Reed and hopefully they'll retain him for the long term. Um, hopefully, LJ Collier is going to develop into... The Michael Bennett type over time might take a year or two. Puna Ford looks like a terrific acquisition to, to play alongside Reed, but I just want to see a bit more experience in there. You know, and, it, and actually for the draft next year, you know, I'm, I'm open to the drafting defensive line again, um, if needs be, and if, there's, if the right prospect was there. But I'd quite like to see them, if they don't acquire somebody in the next week, you know, in the off-season for me, I'd like to see them, you know, Everson Griffin's going to be a free agent next year because of his contract in Minnesota. Yeah. You know, there's going to be others who are going to be available. Genevan Clowney might be available. I'd like to see them go out there and add some some grit and experience to that defensive line and mix it in with some youth. I think that's how the Eagles had so much success a couple of years ago when they won the Super Bowl. They had sort of young rookies who were playing D-line. They had some experience that was was playing D-line. And I'd like to see them go down that road again and mix in. And I think that's the one thing they're lacking at the moment is that sort of real nasty, tough attitude on the D-line that in the past they would have had with a Clemens or an Averill or a Bennett. Well, defensive line is definitely something we're going to be watching, as you mentioned, uh, you know, potential trades going into the the regular season. And John Schneider's always been active there. So uh, I think they've had the time to identify some of that weakness uh, for for the team going into the regular season. And we're going to see what they're going to do with it coming up in the next couple of weeks. Rob, really want to thank you for coming on, talking about the game, talking about Andrew Luck, and of course, the college football season. Uh, people want to check it out. Go to SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Follow you at Rob Staten on Twitter. And be sure to check out FieldGoals.com. Plenty of content there to check out after the Seahawks 23-15 to win, including the winners and losers from the game by Mookie Alexander as he looks at Ugo Amadi on the plus side of that. Aside from the muff punt, Amadi had a good night on special teams and was the first team starter uh, in punt returns and kick returns. Mookie also talks about Michael Dixon being on the losing end of last night as it was a tough night for him with the punts. But uh, hopefully Michael Dixon gets those out of his system in the preseason. And we're back to a pro bowl, all pro caliber Michael Dixon come regular season time. And if you're looking for more podcasts, you can check out Kenneth Arthur's seaside reactions, his reaction after the Seahawks win over the Chargers. He'll have some comments about the Andrew Luck retirement as well. 
It's all there. Fieldgoals.com. If you want to support this show as well as the Seahawkers podcast, you can go to getintheflock.com, become a member of the flock, and uh, we'll give you a shout out on the next episode of the Seahawkers podcast. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.